So turn with me now to the book of Yaakov, which is in English, James, chapter 1. We will continue. We'll be starting in verse number 9 of chapter 1 of the book of Yaakov, or James. And as you're turning there, Yaakov now focuses on something. And he asks for the believers, and these are mostly Jews who are part of the diaspora, but this can be applied to all those who've been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. And that is this question. Do you have the ability to discern between what temptation is and its source, which all temptation comes from Hasidon, and fully realize that any testing that Adonai, God the Father, allows you to receive and to endure upon this earth, do you know the difference? And the testing as Abba, Father God, tests us, just like as we're growing up as children in our families, our mom and dad, they gave us opportunities to prove ourselves, to gain confidence. And this is the journey we have here on this earth as we're being transformed in the image and likeness, the characteristics of Messiah, he's our greatest example. He saw what the Father was doing, and that's what he focused on doing. He focused on what God's word said to help guide himself as he was fulfilling his Father's will on this earth. He came to die upon that tree so we could have eternal life and raise from the dead. That was part of God's provision and plan. Even before he created the universe, before he created the earth, before he created our mother and father, Adam and Eve, this was all part of God's design and plan. But there are many times when Hasatan, our adversary, Satan, confuses us. There are times when we feel, well, God is allowing temptation in my life, but no, he's allowing a test. See, when we embrace what temptation, the offer from Hasatan, we don't realize that he's offering it to us. What it does, what does it produce? It gives birth to sin. And what does sin cause? Us to be separated with our intimacy between ourselves, Abba, Father, God, his son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. But isn't it beautiful it says that the Lord is standing before the Father as an advocate? Because Satan, he comes before the Father accusing us when we sin. But through God the Father, our advocate Yeshua is not only our advocate, but he's also our redeemer. He's our sacrifice. And that's why in 1 John it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Yeshua is faithful. To forgive us our sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us begin here in Yaakov chapter 1 verse 9. Let the brothers in humble circumstances boast about his high position. But let the rich brother boast about his being humbled since like a wild flower he will pass away. And so now as we look closer to this, it says that this wildflower will pass away. In Hebrew, that, it's speaking about this desert wind that would come. It's called the Sharav. 
is a hot and dry wind which blows across Israel from the desert, from the east of the land, in the spring, and less often in the fall. And so the sun rises with the Sharav here, as it speaks here in, in the scripture. Verse number 11. For just as the sun rises with the Sharav and dries up the plant, so it is the, its flower falls off and its beauty is destroyed. So too the rich person going about his business will one day wither away. And so the sun rises with the Sharav. And this is an example of what happened to Jonah, remember, when he was sent to Nineveh to speak and to say that in 40 days the Lord was going to judge that nation. And then he went outside the nation and he sat underneath a plant. And he was just waiting there watching for the show because he had no heart for those who were lost in their sins. And what did God do? He caused a wind to come and to dry up and kill that plant. So that's a, a short illustration that we have here. And so with this, if we return now to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7, it says this. And I know for some of you, it'll be very difficult to turn to it right away. But you can write it down in your notes. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7. It says this. The grass withers and the flower fades when the wind from Adonai blows upon it. It also speaks of that also in Psalms 102, verses 4 and 11. But you know what is amazing? Yeshua actually dealt with this subject. Now I'd like you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look at a verse number 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. This is part of which has been tr traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 6 and beginning at verse number 19. Don't store up for yourselves wealth here on earth. Remember that former passage talking about those who are wealthy in the kingdom? Where moths and rust destroy, and where burglars break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves wealth in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and bur burglars do not break in or steal. For where your wealth is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if you have a good eye, that is that you're generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if you have an evil eye, meaning if you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. He will either hate the first and love the second, or scorn the second and be loyal to the first. You can't be a slave of both to God and money. If you notice our, both our Torah reading and some commentary that talked about slavery. And Tim. Tim did the Torah reading and David shared during the, during the worship time. And so God desires us to be what? His indentured servants. Great is our reward, is it not? 
if we live out before the Lord. And so Yeshua is now giving further illustration of what the Torah truly means. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink or anything about your body. What you will wear, isn't life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds flying about. They neither plant nor harvest, nor do they gather food into their barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they are? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? And, by, and why be anxious about clothing? Think of the fields, the wild irises, and how they grow. They neither spin a thread or work. Yet I tell you that not even Shlomo, which is Solomon, in all his glory was clothed as beautifully as one of these. If this is how God closes the grass in the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and then thrown into the oven, won't he much more clothe you? What little trust you have. So don't be anxious asking what we'll eat, what we'll drink, or how we will be clothed. For the pagans who, seek, who set their hearts on all these things, your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough troubles already. So as we're serving the Lord as indentured servants, we're walking in his provision because he is truly the master of our lives. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So now continuing here in the commentary. So the poorest person who walks with God in times of trials and tests is better off than the wealthiest one who depends on his own riches. Whether rich or poor, the Messianic believer's confidence must rest in their identification with Yeshua as their Lord of glory. The second portion of, of Scripture where it talks about withering, it speaks to this. In God's revelation, in an ancient book, and that book is the book of Job. So if you will, turn with me to the book of Job. A righteous Gentile. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 pairs of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, as well as a great number of servants, so that he was the wealthiest man in the East. It was the custom of his sons to give banquets, each on the set day in his own house. And Job would send for them to come to be consecrated, he would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings for each of them. Because Job said, my sons might have sinned and blasphemed God in their thoughts. And this is what Job did every time. It happened one day when the sons of God, those are angels, came to serve Adonai. So this is speaking about up in the heavens. And among them 
came the adversary. And who's our adversary but Hasatan, Satan himself? And Adonai asked the adversary. I got to stop here for a quick moment. You know, Hasatan cannot do anything without Adonai's permission. I've heard many ministers in the past, and we don't know where this originally came from. He said, believers need to realize Hasatan, the adversary, Satan, is God's devil. And ultimately, he will fulfill God's will upon this earth. He's already a defeated foe. And we know as we get closer to these end time days, in scripture it reveals all his plans and schemes. And they will be fulfilled as the Lord orchestrates that. This is all going to be accomplished. And we're to be at peace knowing that the Father allows testings in our lives. Not temptations. Temptations come from the source who is Hasatan, which wants to produce what, as I said earlier, sin in our lives, to give birth to sin. And that's what Yaakov is speaking about. So let's continue with the journey about Job's life. Adonai asked the adversary, where are you coming from? The adversary answered Adonai, from roaming through the earth and wandering here and there. Adonai asked the adversary, did you notice my ser servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright, man who fears God and shuns evil. The adversary answered Adonai, is it not for nothing that Job fears God? You put a protective hedge around him, his house and everything he has. You have prospered his work and his livestock are spread out over the land. But if you reach out your hand and touch whatever he has, without doubt, he will curse you to your face. Adonai said to the adversary, here, everything he has is in your hands. Notice that? Who's allowing this to happen? Continuing here. Except that you are not to lay a finger on his person. In other words, you are not to take his life. Then the adversary went out from the presence of Adonai. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to him and said, the oxen were plowing with the donkeys grazing near them. When a raiding party from Sheva came and carried them off, they put the servants to the sword too. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another one came and said, Fire fell from God and fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. It completely destroyed them. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. It says from that guy's interpretation that it came from God. But who did it truly come from? Hasatan himself. See, because in the latter days, Hasatan, when he comes, the Lord allows him to, he will be able to do miraculous signs and wonders to even deceive the very elect, God's chosen people who inhabit the earth. 
So let's continue here. And he's doing that even today. Was it not uh, two false magicians in Pharaoh's court as Moses laid down his staff and it turned into a serpent and did not the sorcerers, the high priests of Egypt do the same? See, Hasatan always wants to mimic what God is doing to bring deception, to bring temptation in our lives, which ultimately, if we do not recognize it as temptation and also recognize it's possibly a test from the Lord, which will equip us and make us stronger and draw closer to the Lord to walk in his provision on our own strength. See, that's the battle we got going on between our carnal nature and our spirit man or woman. Let's continue. While speaking, another one came in and said, the Kasdim, three bands of them fell and on the camels and carried them off. And they put the servants to the sword too. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another one came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking while their oldest brothers at their oldest brother's house when suddenly a strong wind blew from the desert. Remember the Sharav wind? Continuing here. It struck the four corners of the house so that it fell on the young people. You're dead. They are dead. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. What is one of Hasatan's titles? But the prince of the power of the air. Let's continue here. Job got up and he tore his clothes. He shaved his head and he fell down on the ground and he worshipped. Who's he worshipping? The one true God. And he said, naked I've come from my mother's womb and naked I will return there. Adonai gave and Adonai took. Blessed be the name of Adonai. In all this, Job neither committed sin nor put the blame on God. Continuing chapter 2. Another day came when the sons of God, remember the angels, came to serve Adonai. Where is this taking place? But in heaven. And among them came the adversary to serve Adonai. Notice that. Who's serving Adonai? But the adversary. Hasatan. Remember, he cannot do anything unless Abba, Father God, allows him to. Adonai asked the adversary, where are you coming from? The adversary answered Adonai, from roaming through the earth, wandering here and there. Adonai asked the adversary, did you notice my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, and that he still holds on to his integrity, even though you provoked me against him to destroy him for no reason. The adversary answered Adonai, skin for skin. A person will give up everything he has to save his life. But if you reach out your hand and touch his flesh and bone, won't doubt, without doubt he will curse you to your face. Adonai said to the adversary, here, 
He is in your hands. Accept that you are to spare his life. Then the adversary went out from the presence of Adonai and struck Job down with a horrible infected sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pot to scratch himself and sat down in a pile of ashes. His wife asked him, why do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he answered her, you're talking like a low class woman. Are we to receive the good at God's hands, but reject the bad? In all this, Job did not say one sinful word. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all the calamities that overwhelmed him, they all came. Each came from his own home. Eliphaz from Tiaman, Bildad from Shuach, Zophar from Nehemiah. They had agreed to meet together in order to come and offer him sympathy and comfort. When they saw him from the distance, they couldn't even recognize him. They wept aloud and tore their coats and threw dust over their heads towards heaven. Then they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights. Basically, they sat Sheva. No one spoke a word to him because they saw how much he was suffering. And at length, Job broke his silence and he cursed the day of his birth. Those are comforting words, are they not? Knowing this, that the one who allows us to face any test in this life, he gives us permission, provision, even though we're suffering bodily. We're suffering. The Lord is there. And that is a test as Adonai knew that Job could endure as he was being transformed into the character and likeness of the one true God that was yet to be revealed to him in the future. Let's go back now to verse number 12 of Yaakov chapter 1. How blessed is a man who perseveres through temptation. So who brought the temptation on Job here? The adversary, Hasatan. The Lord truly is testing Job. For some people in their lives, it can be a bodily affliction. It could be one of the mind. But the Lord makes provision in spite of all these things. His grace and mercy is there. That's why Rav Shaul said these words. He said, I want to know Messiah intimately in his sufferings. And when Rav Shaul was able to experience these sufferings, he was then able to go before anyone who was in the midst of suffering, whether it be a believer or a non-believer, to intercede, to stand with them, and to strengthen them. Our time of testing is here on this earth. It will not continue in heaven. 
our sanctification is being worked out. We are to do what in the midst of that? As Romans speaks to us, we are to offer our body as a holy and living sacrifice. That's the acceptable worship that the Lord desires from us. So continuing here, how blessed is the man who preserves, perseveres through temptation. For after he has passed the test, he will receive what? His crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you trust your heavenly father? When suddenly your boss walks in the room and says, we no longer need your services. Do you, you fret? Do you go into fear? Or do you just say to the Lord, Lord, you have now closed this door. I acknowledge you have closed the door. And now I ask you, by your grace and mercy, to open up another door of employment for me. But while I'm waiting, I will trust in your provision. You can fill in the blank. That's just one example as we're going forward here. Continuing in verse number 13 of Yaakov chapter 1. No one being tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. See, God's desire and plan is for us never to walk in any evil thoughts. That's why the scripture says, take every thought captive. He is giving us the mind of Messiah. And when we are buffeted about by people the adversary stirs up in our lives, and we get angry, that's okay to get angry, but then not to get even. Know this, they're yet puppets in Hasatan's hands who are working out and buffeting us about to bring deception in our lives so that we begin to hate those individuals and not have our eyes where the Father is looking. For the Father sees that there's a veil over their eyes. They do not know what they're doing. And that's why Yeshua, when he was upon the tree, he cried out before his death, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, Hasatan cannot attack Yeshua anymore because Yeshua is not dwelling on this earth. So who does he come after? You and I. He wants us to get so angry and perceive people as Hasatan does. That's why in the midst of our suffering, as we're being crushed and buffeted about, we show the, both the grace and mercy of God to our enemies. And that's why the scripture says, if you see your enemy hurting, you're to go what? Go and meet their needs. Let's continue. Verse 13, no one being tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God himself tempts no one. Verse 14, rather each person is being tempted 
whenever he's being dragged off and enticed by what? The bait of their own desire. See, Hasatan, he studies us. He knows us. He has been recording the times when we have allowed temptation to give birth in our lives and for sin to be produced in our lives. And he knows that's a weakness in our lives. That's where he continues to go from time to time. But we're to gain the victory in Messiah. And so this word that Yaakov is giving to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who are part of the diaspora, this is probably a brand new revelation to them. Why? Because in verse number 14, he lays it all out. Rather, each person is being tempted whenever he is being dragged off and enticed by the bait of his own desire. See, when you get an image in your mind that's unpleasing, you're to take that thought captive. And it's a, if it's a temptation that's another individual, what does the Spirit desire for you to do? To begin to pray and intercede for that individual. Have you not realized when you do that, that the temptation begins to flee? Aren't we not commanded in Scripture to resist the devil, Hasatan? And after resisting and standing in God's power and grace, does not Hasatan flee? Absolutely. Continuing here in verse number 15. Then having conceived, this is the, talking about being enticed by the bait of our own desires. Then having conceived, that's giving birth. The desire gives birth to what? Sin. Basically, you're saying to God the Father, thank you for your provision, but I'm going to go this way. I'm going to allow that enticement. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to coddle that. And as I do, it's going to produce sin in my life. Let's continue here. Verse 15. Then having conceived, the desire gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to what? Death. What separated our mother and father Adam and Eve, her name Hava Life. What separated them? Disobedience. He gave them one command. And who was there to entice our mother Eve? Hasatan. See, his ploys have not changed. He has no new tricks. And that's why we're to know God's word. so that we can stand up to the wiles, the temptations of Hasatan. Verse 15. Then having conceived, the desire gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, fully matured in our lives, it gives birth to what? Death. And what is death? Being separated from God the Father. Did we not all have to become born again? Born of what? Born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. So he goes on to say this in verse 16. So don't delude, don't deceive 
yourselves, my dear brothers. See, we're to have discernment. To know that, yes, the Lord is testing me. But with that test, who comes in? Like a flood. Hasatan brings in the temptation. And what is his desire? For our carnal nature to take over our spiritual lives and for us to live accordingly. To walk in our own provision, which we're denying God face to face. The audacity of doing that. So continuing here. Trials and tests are part of God. And he's doing to prepare his people for his blessing. The person who remains faithful to the end will what? Receive the crown of life. At this time, let us now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Now, every athlete in training submits himself to strict discipline. And he does it to win the laurel wreath that will soon do what? Wither away. But we do it to win a crown that will last forever. And Ralph Scholl goes on to say this. Accordingly, I do not run aimlessly, but straight for the finish line. I do not shadow box, but try to make every punch count. I treat my body hard and make it my slave. So that after proclaiming the good news to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Also, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll probably finish on this today. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to begin at verse 35. Hebrews 10 and verse 35. So don't throw away that courage of yours, which carries with it such a great reward. For you need to take hold of it so that Having done what God wills, you may receive what he has promised. There is, so, there is so little time. One coming will indeed come. He will not delay, but the person who is righteous will live his life by trusting. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. However, we're not the kind who shrink back and are destroyed. On the contrary, we keep trusting and thus we preserve our lives. And so with this, when we look at this crown, as symboled as Rav Shulbis, he was speaking to people where the Olympics were going on every four years. And they would receive a wreath and also they were then free of taxation if they won the race or won their events. But that would pass. That wreath would, would, would pass. But we, we're looking for a crown that has no end. And so at this time, winning athletes were crowned with victory wreath. And so that word crown in the Greek means 
and it suggests that Messianic believers have eternal life is a crown and the reward of victory. Blessed be the name of the Lord.